Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Field and Garden Podcast. It is your friend, Lisa Mason Ziegler, and I'm really glad you've decided to drop by because today my good friend Ellen is back with me again, and we're going to talk about, you know, winter time in a design business that only buys from local farmers, and she'll tell us about her Baltimore, Maryland, cold, long winters and how that all <laughs> works out for her. Hi, Ellen. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, and I just appreciate, Ellen, this is a busy, we're recording this um, in fall, and this is a really busy time um, for her business. And I appreciate her um, taking a moment to actually chat with us. And so, friends, if you're new here, we just appreciate you dropping in. You can learn more about the Gardener's Workshop and all the work we're doing over at thegardenersworkshop.com. Tons of fun over there, friends. Resources, online courses, there's shopping. There is just a lot of um, our farm news. If you sign up, is a once a week newsletter that is literally like a front page. It has all these headliners and you can pick and we kind of keep you in the loop on what's going on in the farm as well as in our business. So today I want to talk to Ellen about Frostmas. Do y'all know what that is? I didn't. This is kind of a new thing. And so let's, so Ellen, first aboard, welcome back again. And for those friends that may not know who you are, can you kind of give us an intro to your business and what you do? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Ellen Frost. I am the owner of Local Color Flowers. We are a floral design studio located in Baltimore, Maryland. We source all of our flowers locally. So everything we use comes from farms within 100 miles of Baltimore. And I can tell you more about what that looks like in the winter. Um, and we do all the things that a conventional florist does, uh, weddings, events, single orders, subscriptions, floral design classes, retail, but we do it with local flowers. So we've been doing this for about 15 years now, and we love it a lot. Uh, I also just recently started a new blog called the Vicarious Florist Blog, which gives you a little behind the scenes look at what it's like to be a florist. So if you're interested in seeing what our real lives are like, um, you can check that out too. So we'll call that, that's the reality show. Yes, exactly. Um, the florist shop. I mean, it's so true, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think that I felt like when I became a flower farmer, I mean, that's the first thing out of people's mouth. It's like, oh my gosh, what a dream job. What yeah. a dream. And I can, in fact, Ellen, this reminds me of something. Um, our cousin is our attorney. And when I was in, sitting in his office, doing the paperwork to become an official business. He pushed back his chair and he's this big old fancy dressed guy, right? Pushed back his chair and he said, you know what? I'm thinking instead of you having employees, I think people would probably pay to help you <laughs> on your farm. And it's like back then I actually believed him because right, I had right. been doing it. But anyway, you're so right. People just don't have a clue. And um, I can tell you that her new blog is very insightful and you just never know what you're going to read about over there. So talk to us about being a designer that only buys flowers that are grown within a hundred miles of your location. So tell us about what winter is like in Baltimore, Maryland, when it starts and when it ends. So Right. So let's start with Frostmas. 
Frostmas, I feel like has become like this term mostly used on social media with mostly flower farmers, some florists who source locally, but mostly with flower farmers. And it's meant to convey the date that they have their first frost and their field flowers all go to, you know, all go to bed. They all get frozen. Um, and then it's like a holiday for the farmers. They finally get their winter break. So Frostmas, like Christmas, is a holiday for the farmers where their slow winter season begins. And if you look at the hashtag Frostmas on social media, you will see lots of photos and videos of icy frozen flowers and um, we'll read lots of joyous comments from farmers about the end of their season. Of course, and it's funny because we, this is a side note, but we have a book club, Logoflow has a book club. And this month we were reading Jamaica Kincaid and her book, My Garden. And she was writing about the first frost of the season. And she said, I always feel like frost is something that's being done to me. She's like, I hate it. I hate that time of year. And I feel the same way. When the farmers are elated and joyful that their season is over, I have like intense anger because I know that my season is going on, but my growers, most of my growers who supply me with flowers all the time are now going to be off for the rest of the season. And don't, don't, don't start, you know, farmers, if you're hearing this, I'm not saying you're off for the season, but you don't have to be in the field providing me flowers anymore. You can do your planning, your seed catalogs, you know, you're still working, but not providing flowers to me. And so for us, that means that once Frostmas hits, we have to sort of switch gears with how we source our flowers. So still local, but we start to look at different growers. And so for us, we are in, I don't know, zone, we buy from zone 6B to 7B is about where our growers are. And so frost is like mid-October. And actually last night was frost for most of our region. So most of our growers got frost last night. And so knowing that um, and knowing, you know, we've been doing this for 15 years, knowing sort of when frost is going to hit, we have prepared ourselves and prepared our winter growers for um, sort of this next stage of purchasing. And so what that looks like is we've spent lots of years developing relationships with winter growers. Um, for maybe the first five or six years of our business, we didn't do anything in the winter because we didn't know any winter growers. And so we've done a lot of work to, um, to get a good solid list of winter growers that we can rely on um, and who can rely on us to purchase in the winter. Mm. And so about mid-September, we start to reach out to these growers because these are growers that we some of them we don't buy from in during the season. We only buy from in the winter. And so about mid-September, we start to reach out with a, hey, it's me. We're ready to start thinking about winter. Um, you know, what are you growing new? What are you going to have available? When can we start coming? Can we start end of October, beginning of November? 
we're already thinking about Thanksgiving. So we just do a little reach out to these growers um, to get them ready for our for for us buying from them. So now that we now that Frostmas is here, we are starting to look at first our growers who have hoop houses. So either um, unheated tunnels or folks that have heated greenhouses um, and also folks that are growing, you know, things like ilex and willows and things outside that, you know, we use throughout the winter. So that's sort of how our plan switches once sort of frost miss arrives. And not everybody is frosted last night or the last couple of nights. Like we are in the city, we have one grower in the city. And because of the little, you know, sort of microclimate and heat island that we have in the city, um, she doesn't really get frosted maybe till towards Thanksgiving even. So, you know, we have a couple of people that we can continue to buy field stuff from, but for the most part, we're starting to look at inside grown stuff. And so do you like, when you go into this mode of shifting gears, does yeah. that mean that you like cut your business hours back or your variety or your offering, or does it yeah. change up what you're doing? I mean, cause it does. I mean, I know that y'all do evergreens. I know you do dried stuff. I mean, you have this whole business built yeah. on the sea. It's a seasonality and yeah. you've just picked out so much good stuff. So tell us about that. So for one, you know, just naturally there are fewer weddings in the winter. So for us, um, that sort of happens naturally. And we are pretty careful about taking weddings in the winter. So if there's a wedding, say in December and it's, you know, winter themed or Christmas themed and they're like, okay with red berries and evergreens, you know, we'll generally take something like that. But when people are thinking, I'm doing a New Year's Eve wedding and the colors are champagne and blush and, you know, those are not the kind of weddings we can take in the winter. So in that way, we pull back a little bit on our weddings. But like I said, they're, they're few and far between in the winter anyways. So that's not a huge deal. Um, our subscribers, we, that doesn't really change. And if anything, we really add subscribers in the winter because a lot of people are, you know, people who love flowers, they have gardens, they don't need flowers in July, they right. need flowers in the winter. So we actually pick up a lot of people, like November to March. Um, so in that way, we sort of increase um, what we're doing. And then we still have our retail, but we don't do Wednesday nights during. So our retail hours are Wednesdays, three to seven and Saturdays, eight to noon. We we don't do Wednesdays during the winter, um, mostly because we just don't have enough flowers for that. That's like the one thing that we feel like we can cut out and um, not really have much, much impact, um, especially since our subscribers are, are up. So we haven't really, our income and our sort of work doesn't really reduce. It just kind of switches around a little bit. Um, and we have worked really hard to have consistent winter work, not just so that we have consistent um, winter income, um, but also because we, you know, a lot of times when you're working with local stuff, the work is seasonal and we really want our employees to stay year round. So, you know, for the last 
I don't know, eight or nine years, we've worked really hard to make sure that our staff could work year round um, instead of seasonally. And so they still they still do that. Um, and we do, you know, the mix of things is different. We are using a lot of dried stuff. We do use a lot of evergreens. Um, and maybe the mix of flowers that we have is not as varied as it is during the season. So, you know, we may not be putting, we not be, be using 40 varieties of things in a week. We might be using 20 varieties. So, you know, really, you know, the things that we have, we get a lot of. So, you know, we're using a lot of snapdragons, a lot of anemones, a lot of cabbage, a lot of, you know, the things that are available, we just get more of. And, um, you know, it's also, we have like really interesting things in the fall and the winter. Um, lots of flowering branches, lots of berries, lots of, you know, we always say fun sticks. Um, you know, there's lots of cool stuff that's available that can be supplemental to the flowers. So, um, yeah, we've, we've, and they're seasonal, right? I mean, some people just look forward yeah. to that type of, oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, the thing is with local flowers, I mean, I always think you can never get sick of anything because it comes and goes and it comes back again the following year. So yeah. if you love dahlias, you know, and you never want them to leave, well, you know, in a couple of weeks they'll be done, but they'll be back and then you can love them again, but you can be ready for heirloom mums in a couple of weeks. And after that, you can be ready for cut poinsettias and after that anemones and tulips, you know, and on and on. And they're just, yeah, there's no, there's no end to the amount of things that you can be excited for with local stuff. I mean, that just what you just listed was very exciting. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're going from dahlias to heirloom mums to cut poinsettias, which a lot of people don't even know about. They don't know about ornamental kales, um, yes. which are long stemmed. I just, I have some behind me that I was just stripping. It's like, people just don't know of these long stemmed yes. cabbages and um, cut poinsettias are the same way. They have these yeah. long, skinny stems. We we grow them in these super tight little beds to make them grow yeah. tall and straight. And then before you know it, it's time for tulips again and yeah. all that. And fun. our tulips start like, you know, I think last year we had tulips as early as Thanksgiving. So, you know, things are, you know, cyclical. And yeah, there's never there's never a time when I feel like, um, like we, we are always offering a really rich, you know, variety of stuff, even in the coldest months. And, you know, I, that makes me think of, I used to really feel penalized back in the day when I first started farming, because I'm in the middle of the city. I cannot have any hoop or greenhouse structures in the city. And I always felt like I missed out, but I feel like that really forced me to embrace seasonality, unlike yeah. growers that have options of extending the season of things that sure. grow in the growing seasons. And, you know, don't you, I mean, I've just knowing you for a decade now, mm -hmm. watching you evolve. And now you're talking about having such amazing crops all through the season, even through the winter months. And I want, I don't want you to go in deep, but I mean, you helped to cultivate a lot of these winter growers, didn't yeah. you? I mean, you, you know had what, to help say, I'm going to buy it. 
Yeah, that's one of the things I think that, I don't know if I'd say like most proud of, but like the one of the things that's like most exciting about this work is, um, is right, is cultivating relationships with winter growers, not just for us. And this was like, I can give you an example. Our tulip grower um, cut flowers by Clear Ridge. About seven years ago, um, I reached out to her and said, you know, we are getting tulips from New Jersey, which is great. Van Dyke, we get them from Van Dyke Brothers. They're great, you know, but if there was tulips closer to home, we would buy, you know, we'd be willing to buy you know, we're buying a thousand tulips a week in the winter sometimes. Wow. You know, we would rather give this to somebody in our in our network already in our community um, if we could. And so Jessica and I worked, you know, for a year or two before she actually started planting to get this to get these tulips ready. And one of the things that we both talked about early on was not just supplying us with winter tulips. But being, but being an example to other growers and other florists to say, look, this works in our region. This can be a profitable, um, this can be profitable and we're going to, you know, we're going to be the example. So still, maybe this year we'll see. We've talked about, we have bought all of her tulips every year for the last six years um, as a way to, and just in the last, I'd say two years, there's been interest from other florists to get to get those tulips. And that's what we're trying to do, build interest, um, right. build that sort of community of people that want stuff in the winter so that like when we're ready and maybe this, like I said, maybe this will be the year that we say, okay, you know, take those other orders first and then we'll take everything else so that we can so the Jessica can start to build that community of people that want stuff too. And right. so that's like been part of like our plan all along is to show florists to be the example that you can still not a hundred percent, probably for most people, people are still going to be buying from the wholesaler. They're still going to be using, you know, American grown or maybe even imported stuff, but there are some things that you can still get in the winter and you, and you should, you know, that, that our, our local tulips and not only tulips, you know, like Ilex and Magnolia and things that growers or florists are using a lot of, and they're getting them shipped from like, you know, the middle of the country or from Florida. I'm like, look, we have that here. Let me be the example to show you how to do it. And that's also, I mean, just like part of like our sourcing class is just trying to show people how to make those little inroads in, in local sourcing. And that it works. And that it works. And it has been working. And so I'm glad you mentioned that. So Ellen's course, um, growing your business with local sourcing. That's not right. I've lost it. Local flower sourcing. Local flower sourcing. And I think It's just like how we were talking um, in another conversation about having someone tell you that it's okay to turn away work when it's not the right fit for you. Sometimes things are really simple, but you really can't find your way until somebody else shares it with you. The way that in your course, how you share how to, to incorporate some of the local sourcing product, which I think is the biggest opportunity now, but I mean, after COVID and the 
the, the, the sourcing problems. I mean, I know a lot of people that have never thought about sourcing locally are now yeah. sourcing locally and they're wondering, why did I not do this 10 years ago? Right. I mean, the quality and the quantity is surprising to people, but it's there. And um, I think you are pretty amazing for sharing with in your course just how other florists and designers can actually make that connection, as well yeah. as flower farmers to see what the florist side of it is, too. You know, we right. have people on both sides of the fence that have incorporated that parts of the class. So, you know, so you've helped cultivate growers, which I think is just such an amazing thing that you do. So are there other people out there like you, Ellen? I mean, in the flower farming circles, we all say, if only we all had an Ellen in our community. Um, so are there others? There are, um, you know, in our region, I don't know, you know, um, there's a little acre flowers. They're like our closest friends. Um, they're in DC and they service DC and the DC suburbs. And so we share a lot of the same growers. They go a little further South and we go a little further North. Um, but we coordinate a lot of our, our orders together and they do hundred percent local too. And so oh, awesome. And actually it's funny because Jenny and I, a long time ago, a long, long time ago, used to teach a class together called the business of local flowers. And it was mostly for um, shop owners who, you know, retail shop owners who wanted to do local stuff. And Toby, the owner of Little Acre came to that class probably, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago and had this idea for a shop, local only shop. And she's like, I don't know, can it work? I, I'm just not sure. And we, she went through the class, we coached her through it. And sure enough, sure. they are super successful, awesome DC business. Um, yeah, they're, they're terrific. So there people are out there. You just have to, you know, you have to look for them. That's pretty awesome. Um, Ellen also teaches another course for the Gardener's Workshop, um, an online course that she's created called Preparing to Sell to Florist, which is a amazing doorway into, I mean, yes. to learn what, what florists are looking for then from the florist herself, right? Yeah. Um, that class has been really fun because I've gotten a lot of feedback. You know, it's like one of those things, it's like, here are all the questions that I get answered all the, or asked all the time. Let me just put it into, you know, a short course. And I think it's really to the point. And I think people, the response has been like, oh yeah, these are the 10 questions I had about how to find mm -hmm. the right customer, how to find a florist that works with my business model. You know, not every florist is a good fit for you. Um, how to price for a florist, how to send an availability list, all those really just like basic logistical things. Um, yeah, and we've had great feedback. It's been a lot of fun. Well, I think that it's just a real um, raise in the bar for flower farmers to become more professional, mm -hmm. to act like they know what's going on. And because that's a really big part of the problem. Um, yeah, people sure. just walk into shops, not knowing and saying, how much would you pay me for this? Oh my gosh. Somebody actually wrote that a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I somebody mean, just asked just, me yesterday on the Q and a that I did on your Instagram. Um, they said it was a two part question. One person said, 
I'm growing tulips next spring for next spring. Um, should I just go into the florist shop when they're ready? Um, and I said, well, first, if you're spending all this money to grow these oh tulips, gosh. you have to start getting your customers in line and getting them ready now. You know, you've got to do yeah. winter meetings. You got to introduce yourself. You got to tell them what you're growing. You've got to, you know, you got to do all these things so that when those tulips, just like Dave Dowling says, when those are ready to cut, you got to be out there two, three times a day cutting them. You have to have those customers ready. They have yeah, to there's be no time for that. Hungry. There's no time to market yourself once you cut those tulips. So the class really, I think, helps people prepare in a way that sets them up for success. And you're right. I think um, gets them to a professional level of presentation for themselves so that the florist can take them seriously. So Ellen, it's just so good to talk to you again and to hear, I mean, it's just so interesting how much more fluid your seasonal year just flows out of you. Have you, you just been doing it for so long. And um, I think, I believe that we all want seasonality. I mean, we want to eat it. We want to live it. We don't realize it because there's so much fake stuff going on, you know, and so much manipulation and shipping from on the other side of the world. Um, but living seasonally is really pretty dead gum awesome. I mean, you know, we call it, we call it a food sin, you know, when you eat a tomato in the middle of winter. Right. You know? um, <laughs> right. And it's the same. It's like, there is so much, there's so much beyond what we think of for growing when you you've been forced to figure it out. And yeah. you know, the fact that you're sharing it with us and with everybody is um, really pretty awesome. So we're going to put in the show notes, some previous episodes of Ellen's podcast with us. Um, I'll put a link to Ellen's new blog. Yeah. Um, and just tell us just very briefly about your blog. Um, yeah. And what, what's that all about? The blog has been really fun. We launched it in July. It's called the Vicarious Florist Blog. And it's a behind the scenes look at what it's like to be a florist. So these are all the things about being a florist that you don't see on Instagram. Instagram makes being a florist look very glamorous. And it, it has its days. It has its moments. And of course, the flowers are always beautiful, but there are lots of behind the scenes things that our team um, gets to see every day that we really wanted to share with people. We always have people saying, oh, you've got the best job in the world. You get to work with flowers all the time. And, and it is truly an amazing job. And we just want to share with people a little bit more about what it's really like. So we have daily journal art or daily journal entries, which are just like day to day what's going on. Um, we have some articles that are a little deeper dive on certain topics. Um, and then we've got lots of videos and hopefully in the future we'll have some classes and some more interactive things. And um, yeah, it's just been a lot of fun. The feedback's been really great. Um, I think it's a little for people unexpected because it really does show all of the things, you know, we had a article about wedding disasters. We had um, a wedding about, or a article about um, the kind of packing materials we use for our vases, you know, just all the things that we do day to day that people I think are, could be curious about. Oh yeah. So much so. And no, I think that is really um, 
that is really going to hit a, a, a spot for a lot of people because, yep, oh, Instagram makes it all look beautiful, doesn't it? Yep, yep. It's all, all for right, all the reality television watchers out there. This is this is the florist version. <laughs> there you go. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining me here today, Ellen. And um, if you want to learn more about Ellen's courses, the links will be in the show notes, or you can go over to the gardenersworkshop.com under online courses. She has an on-demand course and the farm, and then she also has the florist school online, which is a bigger course. They're all there. You can get on our wait list. She sends out great information on her wait lists. Um, while you're waiting for her course to open. But of course, her selling to florist or preparing to sell to florist is an on-demand course, which means it can be bought um, 24-7. There is no open enrollment for that. It's always open. Always um, available. It's always there and available. And um, friends, until we meet again, we have, if this is how, if you're enjoying our podcast and it's helping you, we would love for you to drop a review um, and connect with us on social media. Ellen, how can people connect with you? Sure. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook at Local Color Flowers. And then you can find the blog at vicariousflorist.com. Awesome. And we'll be sure to have all those links in the show notes. Friends, until we meet again. Ciao. I love what Jen wrote about Ellen Frost's course, Florist School Online, Growing Your Business with Local flower sourcing. And this is what Jen had to say about her experience. Ellen's course emphasizes local flower sourcing for florists, but it's so much more. It's a roadmap for how to relate to others in your industry from the grower through the florist to the customer. As a new studio florist and grower, determined to build my business on local product, Ellen has given me great ideas to help me reach out to both ends of the flower chain. From the course, I began my first year selling flowers with a good grasp of what to expect in the relationships I've made, the challenges we might come across, and ways to constructively resolve them. Now, with the main season here finished, I have already sat down and laid out my plan for next year and ideas for 2023 because Ellen has really helped me think critically and strategically about how I want to make my own business bloom. I want to emphasize that this course is a great resource for florists, but also for farmer florists and farmers selling to local florists and more directly in their community. You know, when I read Jen's review, it's like, that's exactly how I feel. And I know it's coming from me, um, part of the people behind this course, but I believe that you want to be an expert. You should be an expert in all areas of flowers if you're in any one piece of the flower industry chain. And Ellen's course will do that for you. Totally love this course.